Well, yeah. maybe we should talk about the lead actor. Let's do this it. This is pretty much his only film, and uh, I happen to know everything about this guy. <laughs> uh, okay. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> All right, everybody, it's one fucking hour time, and I'm your host, Evan Husney, and we got uh, my co-hosts here. First to my left, we got Big T, Tom Fitzgerald. Right. What's going on, T? What's going on? Uh, just having some cream popcorn on the cob. <laughs> okay. In, in joke. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got Office it. Office hours. <laughs> there we go. Okay. All right. And uh, wow. Um, and we got to my right. Uh, we got uh, Mr. Marcus Herring. Marcus, what's going on, man? Welcome back to the show. Not much. I'm just still reeling. I wish I'd caught that reference that Tom yeah. was throwing at me. But I guess I'm just not that big of a movie fan. <laughs> to movie? Catch it. Well, it's, you know, you're movie? talking Tim, Tim Heidecker's Tim Heidecker. Hours. Oh, yeah. oh right. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Doug Great Brown. movie. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cream popcorn in the cob. They should make a movie. They should. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's a. It's a great show. It's a great, great, amazing. It is good. It's almost as good as our show. The sound. Can we get a sound guy like like uh, like Vic? I know. I was thinking. I was thinking. (laughs) They have two. I know. (laughs) I was sort of thinking like playing around with a little like vocoder action or like you know some pitch shifting here and there. You know like dream. Oh yeah, we had a synth for uh, Hills Have Eyes. That was pretty fun. So yeah, yeah we, we got to bring that back. We we could have this show devolve into even more nonsense. For sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Well, it is the show, of course, where we talk about one goddamn movie for one fucking hour. And tonight's flick is for episode seventy-four of the show, which of course is corresponding with the year nineteen seventy-four. And Whoa. we're talking about Bob Clark's uh, gem of a flick. Uh, Death Dream, a.k.a. Dead at Night, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're going to be getting into that tonight. Very excited. You guys voted for this movie. This is your mm-hmm. fault. Um, <laughs> and you, you know, so, But great pick, man. I mean, I did not think this was going to win. I mean, no. we had, I mean, it, it beat out Busting, which I couldn't mm. believe. It beat out um, California Split. You know, uh, Sorry, Marcus, it beat out Sweet Movie. But um, <laughs> I thought I made a pretty good pitch for that one, too. <laughs> I, think yeah. the, I think the ghouls cancel each other out. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, totally. Two right. ghouls don't make a right. Well, I will say that a lot of people did like like people, you know, vote on the polls. But from time to time, people will comment and they'll DM and they'll write in. And there was the mm. most fervor, like, you know, action, taking action Cam, uh, campaigning for sweet movie. I did see a lot of people oh, writing really? in like sweet oh, movie. Cool. It's got to be sweet movie. So oh, word of up. I, I mean, look, they were the most aggressive. I'm, I'm sure we'll do it down the road because it's a strong film. Yeah, and it's a beloved. Right. Uh, uh, Absolutely for episode 174. We'll be <laughs> yeah, exactly. We had 100 episodes. Um, no big yeah. deal. <laughs> Yeah, Once we told um, episode nineteen hundred and seventy-four. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> yeah. we will. We have more. We don't have many more gold chances. So that might have been it. <laughs> the gold <laughs> you know? bus has left the station. I guess. That's right. um, I think that's it. That's it. That's a wrap His on him. Career is over about this time. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, well, really? I'm sure. I, I I am sure we will do all the golds that we've teased. I definitely want to do busting. We definitely will. So. Oh. 
I don't know. Musting on the busting. <laughs> musting on the busting. <laughs> I know. It's kind of a little yeah. bummed that busting didn't win, to be honest. I, yeah. I, do love, I do love tonight's movie, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah. But busting well, can, can, is a gem. Do you want to mention, though, that uh, you know this isn't the first time we mentioned Death Dream, because specifically you, you Evan. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was your, your October Halloween pick last year for one of them. I know, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was one of my uh, underrated horror movie picks when we did our top 10 underrated horror movie picks. It was a little bonus episode we did for Halloween last year. Um, yeah, Death Dream is one of my favorite horror films of all time. Um, so we're about to get into it. So I've been really looking forward to this, too. And now I'm in the zone. I'm ready to go. But before we do, I just want to give a quick shout out again to the Patreon, uh, the One Fucking Hour Patreon. Uh, which you can sign up for uh, right now is the best way to support the show. It's just five bucks a month. You can do that. Or if you want to click the join button, which is right uh, underneath you here, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, that also is five bucks a month. And that'll give you the same perks as the Patreon, which is access to our DVD style audio commentary tracks. We just did Blue Velvet, (laughs) David Lynch's Blue Velvet. It is up on both the Patreon and through YouTube subscriptions, so you can get that. Uh, that was a lot of fun. We've never covered that movie on the show proper, so that's really your only way to hear our take on that flick. Um, of course, we have other ones in the archives. And it also, if you sign up for either, you get uh, 24-hour access, 24-hour early access to each episode of the show, so you'll be the coolest kid in school if you do that. Um, and that's about it. But if you really like what we're doing here and you want to hear more of what we're doing, talking about movies... The best way to support the show is doing one of those things, yeah. and we appreciate that very much. It's been very cool to see the response and people joining and the community we're building on this. Super awesome. And um, we're going to get to doing more of those commentary tracks. We'll probably unveil what the next one will be on the, on uh, next week's episode. Okay. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, that was the quick plug. A little business out of the way, and uh, let's get right to the show, right? Should we do it? Okay. Yeah, and we'll talk about 1975 at the end. Absolutely. Stick around to the end of this, you know, hour of the fucking hour we're about to get into. And at the end, we're going to unveil the options that you will have to vote on for 1975. Uh, Spoiler alert, they're going to be bangers. So, okay. (laughs) You guys ready? (laughs) All right. Let's do it to it. All right. Here comes the clock. Here we go. Boom. All right. A little background ski on Death Dream here. For the folks at home, um, all right. What has long been basically just a word of mouth favorite among cult film fans, Death Dream, aka Dead of Night, aka The Night Andy Came Home, uh, takes place in the troubled household of Charles and Christine Brooks, who uh, are shockingly played by the two lead actors. Of John Cassavetti's faces <laughs> from just a few years prior. <laughs> Pretty crazy there. John Marley and uh, Lynn Carlin. Uh, they are a couple devastated by the news that their son Andy has been killed in Vietnam. Uh, Christine insists that he can't be dead, and soon Andy shows up at their doorstep. But he is a little different, and he's wearing some sick ass shades, and <laughs> soon. Andy's uh, off on a strange, sinister mission to acquire fresh blood as he's been actively decomposing by the day while his family refuses to confront the awful truth. Directed by Bob Clark, the director behind A Christmas Story, Black Christmas, Porkies, (laughs) and Baby Geniuses, Death Dream (laughs) 
is a <laughs> biting social commentary and an allegorical anti-war film dealing with the then prescient issue of the alienation of Vietnam yeah. War veterans dealing with the horrors of war. Uh, just really, truly unique movie. Uh, again, it's from 1974, and the fact that it's really kind of dealing head-on with the issue of, yeah, Nam Vets coming home, bringing the war home. And uh, we were just talking about this before we were recording, man. I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, Nam Vets of the era were kind of getting it from both ends, right, Tom? I mean, it was really, yeah, yeah like yeah, you right. were describing I mean, it. Um, you know, like they didn't get a hero's welcome. When they came back, like whatever anyone's personal beliefs about the war, it being right or wrong, those guys were in the war. <laughs> they right. survived and whatever they did. I mean, they were in a war. Yeah. Maybe they were injured. Maybe their friend got killed next to them. All that gnarly stuff. Maybe they had to kill people. But they did come back. And so they were either kind of a little bit ignored because it wasn't a, a good war like World War II by mainstream yeah. America. Yeah. It's kind of just like, let's just like, let's get this reminder of this like bad war out of the way. Or they were literally spit on yeah. by people, you know, like the Jane Fonda types. Uh, this was a real, I think this is a real dark page in the old school progressive times of the 60s where they treated Vietnam veterans who were coming back. And might I add, 99% of them were working class and they couldn't get deferments through college like right. wealthy. Right people of their age. So right. it was working class people who didn't like, who were drafted, they didn't even sign up, and yeah. they would literally get spit on in the street and mm -hmm. um, derided and uh, criticized, yelled at, called baby killers. And so that really didn't help them and their morale. Right. And yes, there was an enormous problem with alcoholism and drug addiction and mm, PTSD. Um, because they had, yeah, well, and then, then they're dealing with that. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the war with absolutely no safety net, no support, whatever. And that only sort of started happening like two decades later. Yeah. Where assholes like Jane Fonda would revise her opinion of, that maybe they weren't the bad yeah. guys in that situation. Right. Mm -hmm. right. You know? Right. I do think that this, this film is pretty anti war, though. You know, it's not really, it's not really showing that side of it. All, all, everything you're saying is totally true. But I was kind of reflecting on that. You know, this film's. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't show people criticizing the soldiers when they come back. They're all happy to see him. They're everyone's like treating him like he's a hero and stuff. And but uh, it's it's stance is definitely anti-war. That war brought eats destroys your soul. You know, yeah. war kills you. Even if yeah. you survive the war, you're dead. Right. You know, you're dead inside. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind so of it's what definitely we're like. A, <clears throat> Go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying like yeah, it is like it's uh, I was. Yeah, I just noticing that it is like a it's just a staunchly anti-war film, mm -hmm. you know, not like uh examining the the subtleties of like the soldiers being treated and, poorly by, you know, um, left-wingers and they came back. But yeah, no, it totally. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, and it's also uh pretty early, you know, it's it's a pretty early it entry into the films that would look and examine the yeah. Vietnam War and the effects of the Vietnam War, you know, a film like mm -hmm. Coming Duh. Home you know, Would you be or, surprised if I was an expert on these films? <laughs> and I'll just tell you right now, like yeah, uh, yeah, we're not yeah. wrong in saying that this film is very early on the curve. Yeah, uh, there's maybe. I think I know the first one. Oh, go ahead. Why don't we, is it the Born Losers? Is that the first film that like oh, looks at no. the Vietnam War? It's like yeah, bikers well, and that's partly trash. You know, like um, yeah, but I think it's the first kind of like Vietnam War film. Though. Yeah, well, it's the Losers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's it. 
Um, no, actually, there's this other film that's more uh, of like a psychological sort of portrait film. No one knows it. It's I think it's still on YouTube. It's called Judd, J-U-D. Wow. It's, yeah, it's wild. 1970. And I'd never seen it, heard about it. There's a soundtrack for it. And, it, and I just watched it. It's really good. And a guy comes back to L.A. and he's check this out. He's like catatonic. And like, you know, he, a beautiful woman invites him to the beach, after, you know, after hanging out in like the Sunset Strip. And he just walks away because he's just gone. He's yeah. tuned out. And I was like, wow, this really is early. 1970. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's. Uh, can I that's, throw one um, in? Judd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, can, yeah. Can I throw an early one in too? Um, yeah. uh, very underseen. Don't think it ever got a home video release. If it did, I'm not aware of it. Maybe it did. A uh, film called Welcome Home, Soldier Boys, yeah, uh, which, a is a, which is a which uh, is a is that Joe Don Baker, I believe. And uh, it, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> nice. it's basically like Nam vets on a road trip where it's when wild. they were over when they were over in Vietnam, they were like one of the guys had like his dad had left him a house, a ranch or something. And they were going to mm -hmm. go across the country to go get it. Uh, but of course, their PTSD kind of takes over and it just the whole movie ends in it. In violence, it ends in pure violence yeah, of destroying dark. an entire town. It's very dark. Actually, but, yeah. you know, if you don't mind, there's just one little thought uh, to be had. You're talking about how like the Vietnam vets weren't assimilating, uh, as depicted in uh, Welcome Soldier Boys, and like they were still kind of in Nam, and meaning they were being yes. tribal and kind yes. of like had a chip on their shoulder. And well, you know, the origin of the Hell's Angels. Hell's Angels were, were World War II veterans who couldn't yeah. assimilate. Wow. And they just kept the tribalism together and the boys yeah. club. And they were wow. at war with just the general public as they were at war during World War II. So there, there you go. You know, yeah, it's, it's very starring and we can't yeah, relate to it. it right. Them. It is that maladjustment. It's like it's like being a, it's like being a convict, you know, for like 10 yeah. years mm -hmm. and trying yes. to reassimilate into society. And you can't be a normie, you know, after after you've experienced the harshest end of humanity there is which of course is yeah. war you know so yeah going there is to like that baskin robbins is just not the same <laughs> no or whatever but, you know yeah. I, no and another deep cuts that um there's that apocalypse that film that sort of influenced apocalypse now that's like a documentary about vietnam from 68 called a face of war that's pretty cool oh, anyways it's yeah. a big inspiration for that film and that's cool shit. that's cool yeah i mean this but, is a great well, genre it's a great genre of films because yes. it inspired so many amazing ones and of course they become real prevalent into the 80s especially with action films and revenge oh, God, flicks yeah. and exploitation rambo stuff. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> rambo but, you know, relates to uh, our film tonight in, in, a, right. in the goofiest way but it's well, true. yes yeah it does it becomes sort of a cultural touchstone right to have the vietnam like uh, river's edge uh, dennis hopper river's yeah. edge there's like a, yeah. a like a, how the the man who's come back from war who's been destroyed by it becomes sort of a even like a joke there's that joke where people are like the punchline everyone knows the punchline it's like you you weren't there man you wouldn't understand like right, that's right, the uh, right, right. that's the that's the well, end to well, like a million uh, jokes bill Hader has that um that the vietnam vet character in uh snl so it got you know it's just decades later so things have softened the feeling of it and actually i wanted there's a point i have to this but like yeah bill Hader's doing a vietnam vet in a puppet class you know in like two in the 2000s right right but what i wanted to say just to open this up and actually start talking about this film yeah. is well what i was trying to say before was like there was a lot of either indifference or hostility towards vets and this portrayal is a sensitive one which is surprising and sticks out like a sore thumb because it's like right. how are these guys doing and that's what's remarkable about this film that in this mm -hmm. genre mm -hmm. film trapping it's actually a very sensitive portrayal of like what could happen to a person and what i'm saying is it, i was trying to imagine today 
how putting on the hat where if you're seeing this in a drive-in in 1974 maybe your brother did die yes you know what i mean it's very topical to be honest yeah i was in the airport like 10 years ago and this was when when it was still raging um what was it called the iraq war or something Mm -hmm. and okay be honest here like i was in the airport waiting and like just near me was man a young girl was weeping like i've never seen anybody cry in my life because they were sending off this dead soldier's casket and i've never wow. seen feeling like that in my life a family Damn. were saying goodbye to this guy because they were shipping him somehow through the airport his, his casket and i was just like what the fuck, man and that yeah. always stayed with me so my point is this film is really very white hot dealing with a truly open wound seeing it now it has i, I can't it's not the same like right. and i could see people like walking out of this film because right. it's such a hot, not vietnam veterans but like daughters, friends, or excuse me, sisters, friends, mothers, like they, they went directly into a very open wound of the thousands and thousands of soldiers who died and were crippled, mm-hmm. et cetera, in that war. And it's just, uh, it's, it's even more remarkable is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, it, well, the film really, I mean, obviously the, the horror element of the film is Andy and that he is you know, basically dead. He's a zombie you know, who, who requires blood and there's all those genre tropes and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the film really has in its forefront is the drama surrounding Andy, right? So you have the family, you have the girlfriend, which is a completely heartbreaking element to this movie. Yeah. Um, Andy's girlfriend, Joanne, which we'll get into the set pieces of that. But just that, that, that it really, it's very unusual for a horror film, I think, in many ways to have the drama uh, of the like of the characters in the forefront, not the, mm-hmm. you know, the different set, the different horror set pieces and the practical gags and all yeah. that stuff. It yeah. really keeps those things in the forefront, which I think gives it a really heavy, 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 heavy weight yeah. to it. It's a tragedy. So it is it's a tragic it's, tragedy, yeah. And and just sort of interesting focus on the on those cast members too. It's like, uh, I thought it was really refreshing that the lead female actress was the sister, you know, and not mm-hmm. the girlfriend. Like mm-hmm. the sister and the mom had to take more prominence in the story than the girlfriend. And usually you would expect the girlfriend to be yeah. like, to have more weight. So I thought that was sure. nice. Sure. So, well, just to kick this thing off, let's just get a little backstory into the film and we'll launch into some of the set pieces. Um, you know, uh, this movie, just a snapshot, very low budget. We're talking 250 K for this movie. Uh, you know, and, uh, Bob Clark is coming off of a much even smaller exploitation film called children shouldn't play with dead things. I'm guessing Tom, you have a little history with that. Maybe. Oh, I love that movie. I mean, it's as fun as the title sounds. It's, it's, it's like a bad Shakespearean theater troupe in a swamp. <laughs> uh, in a psychedelic swamp killing each other with insane wrenching uh, an- uh, analog synthesizer music for like an hour and a half. It's It is. It is. So, yeah. So, uh, basically, the, the two major creative forces behind this are, of course, Bob Clark, who we introduced at the top of the show. Very interesting. Kind of like a Ted Kotcheff in a way where here's someone who's yeah. made a lot of different films, a lot of different genres uh very weird and, and he's guys, sometimes he makes like boom an enormous cult hit classic american yep. you know what i mean like like yeah. uh christmas like story. they just they just yeah. do all kinds of shit and then suddenly like hey i did uh you know a christmas story you know yeah right 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 <laughs> exactly and uh, the other is alan ormsby um those two 
Uh, he's the writer. He's a screenwriter of this. He also did a lot of the makeup effects, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. Um, but basically, Alan and Bob met each other at the University of Miami. They were in the drama department. They wrote stuff together. They crashed on each other's couches. You know, they were they were um, cool. in each other's plays. Uh, it's actually, you know, Bob Clark was really, I mean, foremost, he was a playwright. He was more interested in the, in theater. Oh. And, and oh. Uh, both these guys were. Um, huh. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And so um, they, I, 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 and, and, and I guess Bob Clark was also an amazing actor. There was like rumors of like, you know, that Bob Clark played a wicked Falstaff in school. Like everyone was talking about his, <laughs> sure. his, his, okay. his Falstaff portrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he did so, this briefly too, right? Like he's, he's actually in uh, Death oh, yeah. briefly. He is. That's right. Yeah. He, he's in the film for a minute. And, uh, but so basically, um, I think they went their separate ways a little bit. Um, and during this time and then came back together, Bob Clark had scared up some money for a film and they made, you know, what, what would be children shouldn't play with dead things. But he had the money to make a movie before he even knew what it was going to be about. And the two of them went to go see Night of the Living Dead as it was coming out uh, to try and oh. see if they could get any inspiration for a movie. And they're like, yeah, let's just rip this off. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so that's what became the inspirational basis for, oh. for children shouldn't play with dead things. And then oh. after that, Alan just got this. You know, he's another fascinating character who's worked on a lot of very he interesting is. films. Uh, I mean, Deranged was his, right? Didn't he write uh, the the? Ed he's Gein? Deranged. Uh, yeah, he's, Mr. Deranged. He's that guy, and uh, that's that's a nugget. That's worth definitely checking out. He also it did uh, My Bodyguard, which is fucking <laughs> a dope deep cut. That was yeah. one of the that was one of the few VHSs at my house. My Bodyguard. So I just always remember like this kid with a bloody nose. Always seeing that scene over and over as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. It's, it's pretty great. It holds up. Yeah. Well, but yeah, that's that So, yeah, so then he really wanted to write an anti-war horror movie. That was kind of the idea that he had, the kernel of the idea. Um, and he took inspiration from two key sources for this. He was inspired, obviously, by the legendary tale, The Monkey's Paw, which you can see clearly in, um, in Death Dream, that being an influence. But he was yeah. also influenced by a play called Bury the Dead by Erwin Shaw, which was from the 30s, 40s. And it's literally about dead soldiers who come back to life and refuse to be buried. And so that's got to be a whacked out play. <laughs> but I guess yeah, he was inspired yeah. by yeah. those two things and went to make this. I mean, he, he, he wanted to make something that had political commentary in mind, something that was, he had metaphors directly addressing the Vietnam War. Um, yeah. and, and, of course, the other element to it, which is, uh, drugs and and how you know drugs played an effect not only oh. just in uh, you know veterans coming back from the war but also the drugs right. that were used over in Vietnam as well too right. um, and and this idea of of you know bringing the war back home and um, how vets couldn't you know uh, it, basically the whole thing was an allegory of how Vietnam vets couldn't adjust to life you know after they had been as we said over like, like we were saying war. yeah yeah exactly so. So you have this very low budget movie and, um, you know, putting it together, shot in Florida and casting the film. Very interesting that the lead of Andy, I don't know if you guys read this, but um, yeah, (laughs) but uh, uh, I guess legend goes that Christopher Walken had read for the part. And was really, really, really (laughs) interested. He was very interested in it. But I guess Bob Clark felt that. 
he was too weird or they both kind of felt he was a little too weird for the role. I, I know and what they, they mean. Yeah. And, and so they, he they brings they, weird and then he's going to do weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is he bringing yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and so I guess, so I guess what happened is they kind of just didn't get back to him and they stalled a little bit too long huh. and he had already then booked another flick, but of care, but that would have definitely, doing, uh, the mind yeah. snatchers. Yeah. Right <laughs> <No. around. laughs> probably, seriously. He's probably doing the mind yeah. snatchers. Wow. But wow. this would have, Definitely altered the course of this movie's legacy had it been yeah, Christopher Walken, I'm sure. Point. Well, yeah. maybe we should talk about the lead actor. Let's do this it. This is pretty much his only film, and uh, I happen to know everything about this guy. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's the thing. So very simply stated, yeah. uh, my high school girlfriend was his, or, yeah, was his daughter. That uh, is insane. So, <laughs> it's so insane because uh, Richard, it was like this guy because, you know, they lived in New York City and I would Richard go Backus, all the time. We should say his name Richard is Richard Backus. Yeah. Mr. Backus. This is, this is very weird. Okay. So um, I would stay over all the time. Like I was there I would for years, like three or four years. It's like I got to you know, dinners and hanging out and like, what's this? And like watching movies. And, and like we did talk about this movie a little bit once in a while, but not much because I was always because he knew I like weird movies. But I was like, what kind of, why did you make one movie? He really did kind of make just one movie. And then he moved, well, he was a theater guy and he was yeah. a big understudy. He was like Keir mm. Dilla's uh, understudy. Wow. And uh, he, he was in uh, productions of Broadway, productions of Camelot and everything. So he was a theater what? guy, just yeah. made like boop this one movie. And probably his theater experience was attracted maybe Alan and Bob, by the way. Probably. Right? Mm-hmm. In yep. your connection. But then he just went into soaps. I mean, God bless Richard. He's a great guy. Uh, but he just went into soaps. He acted in a soap or two for like years. He's, he's like a long-standing guy, like Dr. Wow. Jones or whatever. And then he just started writing for soaps, and that's kind of how he wound up doing things. But he's a great guy, very fun. So this is a very odd film for me, and I, I'll just put it this way. That, uh, <laughs> you know, fan favorite uh, Raimi, you know, is, 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 uh, he's, she's with Evan. And uh, it would be as if Evan was watching Last House on the Left, and it was distracting because Raimi's dad is in Last House on the Left. So that's all I'm trying to say. Like, I can't watch this film objectively because I just keep going. Like, every time his fucking face is there, it's just like I know I'm in this different way. Like, uh, hey, we're going to make tacos tonight. It's like, oh, okay, cool. You know? So it's like it's, 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 it actually takes me weirdly into 19 mid-'80s. It's very odd. So... And he looks the same, and his son, you know, her her sister mm-hmm. looks exactly like him. So I'm having a very weird time wow. in this film. Wow. So that's just me. Anyway, Richard's a great guy. I still didn't quite get an answer from him why he didn't pursue film. Well, you know, he did say like this film uh, went nowhere fast yes. and it didn't help yeah. him. So yes. and he would just yes. say. Um, he said that uh, you know they just every the world gave up on the film and they gave up on the film and um, yeah. he just said it was it was dry vans and then it just disappeared. That's and it. it was kind of a shame. You know they what? They knew it was of value, but it just uh, they were happy that it wound up on VHS and anybody got to see it later because I think mm-hmm. it really was like unseen for like ten years. Well, VHS. what I what I had heard with uh, an interview with I think it was with Alan Ormsby mm-hmm. um, had talked about how the movie pretty much only played theaters and drive-ins in the south like in right. the florida right. area and in the south right and it never played new york city it never opened in new york city yeah. until 25 years later when it was selected for like a 
you know, Walter Reed, you know, Lincoln Center sort of festival or retrospective, something. You know? yeah. Retrospective, yeah. That's what Richard said, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it had never really gotten the national exposure through playing in a major market like New York or Los Angeles. So, hey, and you know, yeah. I have a theory about that. I mean, just as we're, you know, kind of keeping this thread going, rewatching yeah. this film, it, it, it's, it, it really is almost too harsh and unbearable if it this is. if this is a, is a circumstance in this exploitation movie that is too close to home and i think it really probably was a big turnoff for distributors cuz it's like wow you guys got really too close to this it's not fun and campy it's incredibly downbeat and it and it really is much more of a tragedy than a horror movie even the horrific moments are related yeah. to the tragedy tragedy i mean the mm-hmm, mother's right. weeping on top of his grave it's just like oh that's mm-hmm. you know, not like it's not a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. I'd even like Night of the Living Dead, you know? It's mm-hmm. not even like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's to that, it's to that point. Diff- Go ahead. Yeah, just to that point of like the film not doing well and it affecting people's careers. Like Alan Ormsby said that like years later when he finally did make it out to Hollywood, that nobody knew what movies he'd made before or cared about them. And that in some cases he got like turned away because of them. So he basically had to just pretend, just set them aside and pretend he didn't make them and then start over wow. with his career. Right. Yeah. Didn't count yeah. There you for go. Anything. There you go. Um, well, just to bring it back to Richard Backus for a minute, Tom. It's oh incredible. Oh go ahead. Incredible. Cool. In- incredible that he it's could have been your father-in-law. Um, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, this is interesting because he does give in a tremendous like performance in yeah. this in this film. I mean, you know, a lot of it's in the face. You know, of course, he's got an incredible face for this role. Um, and basically how he got the part, the audition process, it's pretty amazing. Um, they knew that he had sort of a strange quality, but they, they brought him in and, uh, his, his audition process went like this. They told him, come in, sit down. I want you to stare at this lamp and convey as much hatred as you possibly could staring at this lamp. (laughs) And then as soon as you've built up enough hatred, uh, I want you to turn around and then direct that towards me was how Whoa. the audition went. And right then and there, they're like, all right, you got the part, <laughs> you know? And, uh, <laughs> and then Bob Clark had talked about how it was just the combination of that, but also just the way that his like muscles and his face, like when he, you know, when he's staring at you and when he's <laughs> doing his that, just the, it's, there's like this natural freakiness with the way his eyes move and the musculature in his face yeah. It just, you know, it just, it's just one of the most hateful, angry, crazy stares in film. He is a theater guy and experienced, but he really knew how to work with his face, which is exclusively Mm -hmm. a cinematic thing. Mm Close-ups, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? He understood, you know, what a good close-up would be for an actor, Mm -hmm. you know, what to do with your face and all the subtle things. Because in a way, you know, he's kind of a robot or something. It's kind of like, like someone who's playing a robot. Hi, Bob. Hi, How's everything? Everything's fine, Bob. Good to see you, yeah. Bob. Bob, yeah, Bob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did yeah. fine, yeah. Bob. Yeah, but he's not quite stoic because like you do feel that hatred, you know, you do feel that yeah. anger coming through, oh, yeah. which is yeah. which is pretty impressive, uh, you know, considering that sometimes he's like he's making no expression or, or like what we would perceive as no expression. Sometimes behind sunglasses mm-hmm. and being able to convey that anger inside, you know, you know, in, in, through the camera. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is, it is a great yeah. performance. It's really good. It's a really good performance. And then, of course, the production, even though, again, so low budget, is blessed with the performances 
of these two John Cassavetes veterans. <laughs> what the hell? Did they like yeah. take a wrong turn or something? Yeah. Like, like they were auditioning on the right and they went on the left and it was like, yeah. oh, wait, we got this film? Like, because yeah, they're in faces. Yeah. John Cassavetes' faces. They're great performances. I'm actually a they Lynn are. Carlin fan. Yeah, because of also uh, her performance in Taking Off, Milos mm-hmm. Forman's uh, ninety-seven mm-hmm. one Taking Off, she's really great in it, you know. And she's even good in, I think she's in like Dawn, Portrait of a Teenage Prostitute. Oh that, uh, man, TV movie with Eve Plum. But no, but I always like her. I always, it's always welcome to see her in, in the credits. And uh, she she shreds in this movie because yeah, the mother. I mean the I mean John Marley's awesome, you know, the horse head and Godfather. Godfather. Guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But oh just uh, she's she's a real MVP because she's very important to this film, and she's kind of the soul of the film. Like I said, the the, the, the tragic last sort of emotional note is hers on the on the grave with her dead son, mm-hmm. and uh, so you know, and she has to very subtly uh, uh, illustrate denial, which is really that that to me signifies middle class America dealing with Vietnam. It's just yeah. like denial, like yeah. turn off the TV, you know, because the mm-hmm. dad just gets drunk kind of, and that's his yep. own denial mechanism. But she yep. does the sort of happy face flower arrangement denial and she does a great job with that yeah no exactly and like that that is a huge part of the movie like like a huge part is you know john marley's character is willing to kind of at first be patient with andy he's happy he's home he's willing to probably do anything for him but then he quickly gets very irritated at the fact that he's you know, spending all of his time upstairs on the rocking chair, creek, creek, creek. He's not doing anything. Yeah, and then and then and then as things escalate, he begins really suspicious. He's very suspicious of of his son. But then, of course, you have her on the flip side, which is in complete denial, no matter what. Yeah. Almost pushed to the point to where she's conniving and almost manipulative yes. towards her husband yes. at the end in order to protect her own son. Right. Um, and then it escalates to that unbelievable last 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever it is where she's leading the, these the most zombified version of him down the stairs that shot yeah. is scary yeah, terrifying and mm-hmm. depressing and tragic yeah. at the same time and then leads of course to his own grave and there's the big reveal where andy has created his own grave which is really yeah. depressing and then you seeing hear the those scratches early yeah. on i love that the reveal the uh, reveal of the foreshadowed, um, like, like, what is he doing? He's scratching. He's because he says, like, I have to go out for a walk or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for a while, he, he he kind of spooks and spies on his old girlfriend a little bit. That's haunting. And then, yeah, you you hear him uh, scrawling. I, there's so many in that part of the movie. I found it really um, some real masterful stuff going on. Uh, just like a, a sense of doom and foreboding uh, through these small choices, like the creaking of his rocking chair upstairs and its irritating dad, but just like uh, also that walk in the graveyard and the screeching of that graveyard thing, uh, the, the sound. But there's a yeah. lot of great sound design too in this film, mm-hmm. and I hope we can carve out like a second of that where sure. there's things that are be- there's the score for the film, but then there's things like. I think the word Andy is being said and processed through like a ton yeah. of like crazy reverb feedback. Is, yeah. that, is that what you're hearing, guys, for instance? Y- yeah, there's that. And there's a lot of that just kind of, you know, processed whispering and cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. You know, yeah, that was proto Friday you know, the 13th. I was, it, no is, it is, it is, it is, it is. <laughs> and it, it, it does... All, and not to open another topic, but it does kind of remind me of Martin in a lot of ways too. Which you know, yes. shout out to George Romero's Martin. It's in the archives, um, yeah. and it's kind of interesting. You know, you have 
Bob Clark and crew are really inspired by, you know, Night of the Living Dead. And then maybe George Romero is inspired by this movie. Who knows? Uh, for Martin. I thought of that. Yeah. I don't know. Because, because what, what, we're, what you're bringing up is um, there's sort of a, a Dracula vampire metaphor yeah. that's being applied in this very 70s way. And it also reminded me of Ganja and Hess. There was sort of a mm-hmm. trend mm-hmm. to uh, use the tropes of yeah. vampirism. Uh, Reinventing them. other kinds of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, being in a racist America. Um, being, um, you know, uh, a shell-shocked soldier, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and whatever the hell's wrong with Martin, you know. <laughs> and so I, I, that's that was very welcome to see that. And again, it's a first because he was on the vanguard of having uh, vampiric metaphors. Uh, and I certainly saw a, a parallel that Clark was uh, making with um, drug use, as you yeah. were saying, vampirism. You know, oh, man. Like, for blood. Yeah, and, and, and it's done in a very... You know, I don't know if subtle is the right word, but it's done in it's it's done in a pretty interesting way with the drug use stuff because there is that prolonged scene that's kind of in the middle of the film where uh, he basically goes to kill the doctor. You know, the doctor uh, in the film who is basically put two and two together and said, "Okay, Andy is the guy that killed the hitchhiker or killed the truck driver. He was the hitchhiker, right. killed the truck driver, mm-hmm. and so Andy's on to him, and so he's going to show up to his office and kill him." And there's that scene where he does obviously stab him and kill him, and then he takes the syringe, he takes his blood out, and he puts it into himself. And then there's that shot where he's literally just like goes back, like he's, yeah. his head rocks back, like shot. it's like it's yeah. like he's a like like the heroin is hit. You he's know? getting his fix. Right. His fix is peaked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And he's, there just, is that. he's basically injecting to kind of get right too, right? Doesn't kind of like clean his face up a bit, and like yeah. you know, he, he, the monster goes away for a little while. He's basically on maintenance, you know. Yeah. To, uh, he's controlling the decay, mm-hmm. yeah, because he is dead. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I so. think. Yeah, I think the the drug metaphor has always been present, like in Dracula. You know, like maybe it wasn't like up uh, at the forefront in like Bram Stoker's original book or whatever, but it's like. You know, there's the, um, it, uh, I think the fact that you, you drink blood to stay alive, you know, or whatever, it, Dracula's addicted to blood or else he'll die, right? And then right, right. it takes place back east, you know, in like uh, Transylvania, you know, that's where, that's where Dracula's from. And at that time in Europe is like sort of the opium wars and like, you know, opium it was come, came from the east and all this, you know, so there was like a... I think some parallels like in Jack, it's always been a part of like the subtext of Dracula, you know, but he's it's not just drinking blood for fun. It is. No, <laughs> no, it's sustenance. It's like, yeah, he needs it for us. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a yeah, necessity. Yeah. yeah he, he needs it, which is another weird layer of the commentary, exactly. you know, because yeah. it exactly. could be obviously the commentary in this super strong and the idea of, we should talk about the opening of the film because the opening of the movie starts with first you get kind of this prologue that uh is shot to look you know these scenes that look like vietnam itself i mean it is supposed to be vietnam explosions you know love great anytime explosions people, great explosions and um perfect soft focus screaming. perfect yeah and like soft focus face you know coming in and out which is super eerie um and what's really interesting about this scene is it is kind of the big budget moment in the film and i guess it was something that was retroactively added later on in the film like they had filmed the movie and then the producer had the idea probably to make it more attractive like if we have a little flashy sequence at the front and what you'll notice the guy who shot the soldier who's being shot in the beginning is not richard backus it's a different actor um 
but it's coincidentally. I was so confused until I yeah. until I knew that until I found out that detail. <laughs> I was, yeah, it is it's a the guy who originally out. like was gonna play the part, right, or something. That's right. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but yeah, George, like George Swanson, I think. There you go. That was it. Yeah. So, um, and there's like audition footage of him out there, and the, you know you can find under the DVD releases and stuff. But yeah, so it opens with this little prologue where you're seeing the horrors of war and that he's been shot essentially you know he's he's dead in vietnam and yeah. then um we then open in florida in this you know fa- this you know well-to-do middle-class family they're at dinner and then of course you know the corporal or whatever shows up on the doorstep to give them the telegram that basically says that andy's been killed in action and that scene is played really really well in terms of uh the dialogue and it's just you know like john marley doesn't ham it up and he's not like andy's dead you know he just says it's it's Andy. It's Andy, and everybody knows what that means because, yeah. like you said, Tom, like how many households across America are, is that same yeah. scene playing out in? You know, played out. That really yeah. happened. Like, like uh, you know, every few homes throughout America had that tragic moment, um, and that's why it's so almost outrageous and bold that this that they went to make a film like this yeah in the middle it wasn't at all reflective it was actually totally a contemporary uh problem you know yeah no it it was very common back then totally and then the film gets into this concept of you're seeing kind of the first person perspective of andy as he is uh hitchhiking uh, and gets picked up by a trucker I love all um, that stuff. Very scary because mm-hmm. that's when the voices, uh, sha, 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 you know, yep. are playing in that. Well, are introduced if, if in that. Can I ask you guys? Like, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it seems like the sister, who's definitely a, a kind of a killer, it's a, it is a really oh, nice yeah. performance by the sister, but she, mm-hmm. you see her conjuring, right, Andy? Like, she's doing some kind of like candle craft, right? Because it does cut from her sort of having yeah. a strange. Uh, you know invocation and then it cuts to like you mm. know the truck right what do you yeah. guys think of that hmm. the connection i don't know it is a little weird and then you also do have um what's I her name it. yeah it, <laughs> well you also have the mother who's kind of on the porch right and she's also kind of rocking on the rocking chair and yeah seems it like she's sort kind of, of optimistic about it i think yeah that's that explicit monkey paw reference which they right, have come right. out and said was part of their inspiration was like right. that they wish so hard you know the wish and it's sort of that Backfires. tradition of like immortality is not what it's cracked up to be right. you know like a picture of dorian gray or you know there's there's right. that thing where people make some exchange for being immortal and then they but then there's some sort of trick that be careful what you wish for the old mm-hmm. axiom yeah and shout out to the sister too she's really great um anya yeah. ormsby who's the, the yeah. she's oh, the, the wife she, of alan yeah it's alan's she's, wife yes yeah. yes yeah, yeah she's great she's she's also yeah. in children shouldn't play with dead things they also oh. collaborated on tons of stuff if you get the blu-ray you, the, the most recent release, there's some amazing short films that she acted in of Alan's and stuff, and they're pretty great. 60-millimeter, <laughs> okay, wacky right. social commentary stuff. Um, but anyway, just to get back to the film, so Andy you know, then comes home, and we see this really great, again, POV kind of proto-steadicam shot mm-hmm. of you know walking right to the front door of this house. And a mm-hmm. lot of people have said... In the horror community, has said, mm. "Man, that shot is very reminiscent of Halloween," which, of course, would happen, you know, many years later. Um, oh. And uh, there's a Real little ball. interesting 
side note here on the history between Bob Clark and John Carpenter because there is Uh-oh. a connection. So that shot, as I said, um, so Bob Clark actually knew John uh, Carpenter before Halloween, and those two were actually going to work uh, on a film together after this. Uh, Bob Clark was going to direct it, John Carpenter was going to write it, and it was going to oh. be with Warner Brothers. And, um, you know, because uh, John was, uh, this might have been after Black Christmas, excuse me, so Black Christmas is oh, the film okay. after, after Death Dream. But so John was a huge Black Christmas fan at the time oh, of the movie boy. and it's great. uh yeah oh I mean, it is great it's but just incredible. the connection i, I you're getting you know, it i didn't know You're it was getting it. so connected uh, oh like, it's a like little more proto slasher to the slasher <laughs> yeah yeah oh, wow. okay. it's a little it's, it's a little more connected in that carpenter had asked bob around the time of after black christmas he was like would you ever make a sequel to black christmas and you can look this up. It's it's definitely out there. Yeah. And Bob and Bob said no. You know, I, you know, I just did Death Dream, and you know, I, now I'm doing Black. I'm kind of done with horror at the moment. Want to do something a little different? I'm doing Porkies. Then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. But he, but but he was like, yeah. um, but John was persistent. Like, no, no, no. What would you do if you made a sequel to Black Christmas? Yeah, and. And and Bob Clark said, "Well, if I had to, I would make the story about how uh, the Black killer Halloween. was act, no, the, <laughs> about how the yeah about how the killer was actually caught and institutionalized, and then he would escape oh, yeah, yeah. on Halloween night. Oh, get <laughs> out of here! This yes. is like pretty well documented. It's out there, oh my yeah. God. And he would call it Halloween, and um, and oh. but." But yeah, I don't. But I don't he, get it, Evan. What are you getting at here? Like, I don't. I'm not seeing this. <laughs> like, like, but he does say. But he. But you know, Bob says. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. For anyone to suggest that, just from what I said there, he's ripping me off or whatever. No, John brought yeah, yeah. everything to that movie, and John right, deserves of course. Score everything and everything. You know, yeah, he, yeah. He, the, the score he I performed know. everything. I, like he takes the high road, but obviously right. there is there is some wow. connection and maybe wow. some uh, what if to play if uh, the, these two never met you know so right. well there's um, ai do your thing yeah <laughs> i'm yes. clark's halloween yeah, all right so uh I, what we were saying was like so so a- a- the night andy comes home andy comes home and oh, man, uh you know the scene. clock's ticking here and i wanted to just make sure that we carve out a, a, a shout out to a very big scene that's in, a, in like nicely isolated and, and, and beautifully, a, a beautiful demented moment of like early 70s cinema for me. So uh, I'll, I'll open it to you guys. But just the scene where you, uh, it's the escalation of Andy's, you know, uh, malfunctioning behavior uh, is articulated through a scene when uh, some of the neighborhood kids visit. Uh, guys, <laughs> want to get into that for a second? Because it's, it's a great set piece. It's, it's so good. Um, I mean, I love all the Andy set pieces. But basically, you know, yeah, you're seeing all of these mid '70s, you know, overalls wearing kids yeah, who are crowding around. Fan. Yeah, exactly. Who are crowding around Andy and kind of wanting to, you know, ask him, "What's over there? Did you kill anybody, Andy? Yeah, Did you kill anybody? Yeah. Did you do this? What was it like? Huh? You a pussy? I don't know. You know, whatever. What kind of and, guns you guys have? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and he is he's had it because you know he's already been sort of dissed by the mailman who. Uh, comes over and basically is super inappropriate and he's shell-shocked you know for lack of a better term and um that leads to like one of the oh yeah like one of the kids is boasting about his karate uh that he's like he's he's gonna be a brown belt and he decides to kind of try and move on andy andy blocks it and like twists his arm and then the dog starts barking and then really the true like first horrific moment in the film 
is Holy Andy shit. picking up the dog and just choking this dog, you know, mm-hmm. with this just crazy close-ups of the eyes and everything. Eyes. No, choking it out in uh, in front of all of the kids, like yes. five, mm-hmm. like eight-year-olds. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Are stunned yes. in stunned silence. And I got to say, there's a little kind of uh, a Clark humor. Is there's he makes sure to have one cut close up to one of the specific kids who's just yeah. weeping like, because <laughs> yeah. that that is kind of black humor. That's that was totally. a, that was a nice punctuating dark humor moment, you know. And you could see it's kind of a, a Christmas story kind of feel, you know, to totally. that kind of mm-hmm. cut. Um, totally. Anyway, that's a great shot. That's totally a great little uh, moment there, and you don't see the kids again, and it's just uh, mm-hmm. and, it's and yeah, the performance. Yeah. Of, yeah, right, and the performance of uh, of. Um, of my man Richard Backus's eyes, that intense close up, and 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 also it's it's really nice simple filmmaking because, you know, like it basically you just uh, he sets up that there's a strangulation and he just he just sits on the close up of the eyes and he lets Richard do his thing and look at the lamp quote unquote right yeah yeah, yeah you were yeah. saying earlier yeah uh, and getting some Richard looking at the lamp like mm-hmm. close up shots of his eyes anyway mm-hmm. it's it's, it's a prophecy. scene. It's, it's always hard to watch a dog. It's always more for me. It's always more hard to watch an animal get harmed in a movie yeah. than a person. I think, right? right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's like, and that's like the first real thing that he, you know, that's like the first real crime. Well, I guess the hit the the truck driver, but still, right. it's like. But you in know, the and, domestic, the right. home, Andy mm-hmm. being home right, part. right, right. Mm-hmm. Real quick, if I can, just a scene before that scene that I think okay. is a really good example of you know um, of uh, Mr. Backus's talent is the scene when Andy comes in the house for the first time um, and he sits down with the family and uh, and there's then his a, family. I love that. Oh, yeah. There's like a punk rock zoom there when he first comes in. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, totally. Like, there's a totally. great like uh, like animation stand punch in. Like it's all jagged. Like they couldn't yeah. do it straight. So it kind of goes like, right. like it's freeze yeah. frame. I That's really that. cool. Super that. cool. And and then he sits down and then I think John Marley, the dad, is like, uh, you know, they told us you were dead. Pause. I was. And then right. everyone's confused. <laughs> No one knows what that means, and it goes on for a very uncomfortable long silence before he just slowly starts to smile. Yeah. And it's one of the freakiest smiles in the business. I you know. know. <laughs> you know? It's, it's really a shame that, that Richard didn't stay in the movies. I, I know. I still don't quite know what happened. But, no, know. but you know what's great for me, following up a really dope moment like that, what I always love, um, extended close-ups of maniacal awkward laughing <laughs> yes, you know <laughs> totally yes that goes on way too long and it's brilliant it just oh, yeah. it's like the some of the best demented like uneasy uh, laughing i've ever seen in the movie. So i would love good. to see like a extended supercut of that trope in movies you know like yeah. the clock how the clock does like uh, right. every hour i want to see uh, like a whole full day's worth of just like maniacal laughing maniacal laugh- <laughs> movie the candy snatchers Yes. Yeah, I love that. But Don't. you guys know what I'm saying? When the totally. little weird boy and the old yes. man's there with the beard, and he's like, oh, this kid's like <laughs> likes lollipops or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, I can't remember that scene, oh, but that's really demented. Yeah. Um, okay, well, so yeah, that's great stuff. 
Real quick, we did mention the truck driver who was killed as the first kill in the film, and you mm-hmm. do see a really great, wicked uh, close-up, very scary close-up of his slit throat that's very uncomfortable. Yeah. You see mm-hmm. in high-contrast black-and-white crime photos and also uh, in the scene itself. And we should also yeah. say that this movie is very noteworthy because it is the right. first on-screen work of Tom Savini, who Wait, is yeah. the... Say that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the first feature film with makeup by Tom Savini, yeah. 1972, uh, when it was made. Yeah. Um, and, and he had just come fresh from Vietnam, Vietnam which you is know? crazy, you know? Yeah. And he, he was still sort of like apprenticing at this point, I guess. Like Alan Ormsby, I think, did a lot did. of the effects, right? He designed and then, them all. Yeah, he designed and then them all. He designed them all. And then yeah. Tom is such a big, you know, he was already a huge latex famous monsters like freak that he was just you know happy to be a part of it and be the and work as the assistant yeah on it but i think this was his yeah so he was really excited to work on it like an apprenticeship yeah uh, yeah. yeah 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 it's it's amazing and then he it's guess what cool. he worked on martin <laughs> yeah <Small world. laughs> yeah there's that really weird. cool detail he did yeah there's that really cool detail about savini too that he and maybe we're going to talk about this evan and sorry no, if i steal it. it from you but no, um, no, no just that Tom Savini, you know, he actually was a, he was a, a, a war photographer during mm-hmm. Vietnam. So he said, and he, you know, he was a big famous monsters latex person before that. Then he got, he became a war photographer in Vietnam. And so he talks about that being like his anatomy study, you know, so he was out there taking pictures of, of dead soldiers and stuff and noticing all the things that always happen, you know, that mm-hmm. sometimes they, they always have their jaw open or whatever all the details are. Yeah. And so but, uh, one thing that he said that I loved was that, um, you know, when he looks at a, if he can, the way he, he judges whether fake a, a movie effects work or not, is he looks at them and says, does it give me the same feeling that I had when I saw the real stuff, you know, in those, in those photographs that I took. Right. And if it makes me feel the same, then I know it's good. You know, wow. and I just love that. He has that sort of insight yeah. into it. Cut um, to Dawn of the Dead, everybody. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, Does it he pass has, like his well, Vietnam I, yeah. test? Yeah. I just love that balance of like him being like a Lon Chaney, like theatrical makeup mm-hmm. enthusiast, but then combine that with his real world, like death experience in Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. And you do see like just how makeup effects changed dramatically in the 70s, you know, in, in movies. and yeah. um, Totally. I, I just love that, that that marriage of those two. Worlds. Well, it's also just funny that he was in Vietnam and this film's about a Vietnam veteran. I know. I, I, yeah. I don't really know how he felt about that. I wonder how he felt on the set. Like, I know. You know it was a, the film's about a guy who was in the war. Um, I do. But I he, just want to bring up a, a little nugget of like uh, a little more, th- um, like the film theory about it. Like uh, like a thread that I'm noticing is um, when I rewatched it just now. There's also some anger in the film. Definitely. In this sense that relates back to like that weird perspective people had about like the Manson murders. And what I mean is, you know, there were radical groups like the Weather Underground. I think I brought this up recently, you know, and they were getting in with El Topo. I brought this up and they were just there was a lot of like middle class brutality and anger coming from uh, the hippies. Okay, the progressives, because they were like, look, you know, like, so what if a middle class couple's killed? you know, in suburban Los Angeles, like they are taking, they're letting their sons die in Vietnam in this, you know, slaughterhouse that, you know, war. And so what I'm saying is, is there was a a lot of that phrase, there was a lot of feeling of like, bring the war home. And what that meant explicitly was like blood splattered with LaBianca blood from the Manson family. So to see this, I think there's a thread of that happening too in this film. We're right in the middle of a nice square nuclear family, middle class, 
um, home, there's carnage and blood and because suddenly the Vietnam War is in your living room and not on your TV. So that kind of hit me, and I'm sure there was some intentional stuff going on there on the part of those guys. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, totally. I mean, the fact that, yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. I mean, the fact uh, that it is, you know, an allegorical story, and it's taking, you know, this allegorical approach to the horror of Vietnam and the idea of, you know, death and decay and everything, and it's it's right upsetting the this family structure you know and everything yeah. that they're going through i mean i think that is a huge part of it and mm-hmm. um you know and, and in terms of not knowing what's what's going on over there but then here it is it's coming you're coming face to face with this trauma in a in a very sad way i mean because you know when you when you think of it on face value it's like okay well he is supposed to be i guess a ghost or a zombie, however he he got yeah. from across the ocean, you know. I don't. That doesn't matter, of course, to explain yeah, no, that. No. It's supernatural. It. Yeah, it's supernatural. But it, he could have come in a coffin too. You know what I mean? Like he could have come over in a military coffin and escaped or something. You know, like my if mind is trying to figure that out too. You know, but uh, yeah, but true. I think it is. I, I think it is. But it, I mean, it's obviously supernatural. But yeah. I mean, it, I think the experience of what they're going through is you know, this very real in their face horror, you know, of everything that, mm-hmm. that Andy experienced over way far away in the other side of the country. But He's it's suddenly right in, their face. in, in mm-hmm. the kids yeah. room. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, and because, you know, the thing is, again, I'm just trying to remember all these old sort of uh, attitudes from that period in the war that I've read about. And it's just like, um, you know, a, a middle America who allowed Nixon to continue this war, this brutality, like they could, deal with vietnam by leaving the tv on or they could not deal with vietnam oh, by right turning off turning it off news. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly and they do I that in the film mean. like mm. yeah so yeah. um this film was saying no 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 you're leaving the tv on <laughs> like yeah you're gonna right. it's in your face you know yeah. so there's sort of a hostility yeah. there's the film's sad yeah. but there's also a kind of a hostility towards uh middle class denial and um uh yeah denial that's what i was saying mm-hmm. before i think that's what it is right yeah. And the war had been raging for a long time by the time that this film was made, too, right? So, like, you know, at least yeah. what six, seven yeah. years, sixty-five, and this so, is yeah. mid seventy-two. So it is like a way of, in a way, it's early, you know, processing the film, but it's also like let's keep it alive, let's keep the, uh, you know, the sub. It, it is like you said. I do. I agree with what you're saying. Now it's like it, the film is actually turning on the evening news for the audience. Like, don't forget about the war, this horrible thing that's going on. Yeah. You know, because I, I actually want to point something out. I know this is 1974, the 74th episode and everything. Yeah, this was shot in 72. It was. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. I just want to be clear okay. that like, like it was only the subject was only that much more hot. But two years up, this is yep. Nixon's reelection year, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and Nixon's the guy who that's his war. So this is very hot. Vietnam is very hot in 72. It was dying down literally as a war and as a topic by 74. But this one was shot really yeah. white hot times for Vietnam. Gotcha. Yeah, that's cool. Real quick, just because I'm looking at the eight minutes and 40 seconds yeah, yeah. we have left in the episode. And I just want to talk about two very just one key set piece and then kind set of bring piece. it back around to the end but one of the uh you know to me I, i'd mentioned earlier this idea of the character of joanne the girlfriend uh to me is another layer of heartbreak and tragedy in this movie and it's a brilliant um uh, uh, to me it's a very brilliant um addition to the script in that you have these great 
dramatic, very sad, dramatic moments where, you know, she doesn't know that Andy's home and they're going to surprise her. And then, um, you know, she has no idea that he's different, that he's changed. And you're going to see these set pieces where, and, and this kind of gets, and I know you guys want to talk about his outfit too, but basically uh, they're about to go out for this double date and she sees him for the first time. And dude's got a crazy look. He's got the white turtleneck yeah. with the yeah. uh, dark shades and black <laughs> gloves. Like, there's a Halloween costume that no one's ever fucking cashed in on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, we're, we're all, all going to be fighting like, uh, over it this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he's coming off like... Like he's like this super cool guy who's seeing like the Velvet Underground in 1978. Yeah, that's what I, I know. I think of Lou Reed too. I mean, those yeah, glasses. Yeah. yeah, or just like someone hanging out at Warhol's factory. Like, yeah. Like, but he, but he's in you know suburban right. America. You know? Right, because he's also the stoic expression in behind yeah, exactly. the glasses, exactly. like Mister yeah. Cool. Like but you also hand, like Benny addicted a guy in like uh, you know the Lower East Side. But you also hate. have like this moment, very sad moment, where she goes for the hug. And then he pulls yeah. her arms away. And yeah. then, of course, another nice to, performance. Great, nice performance. And then they go to the drive in and they're watching this movie. And she puts, you know, her hand on his and he brings it away. Very sad. That to me is just mm. like even totally excluding excluding the context of the fact that he's a fucking zombie. It's a very sad moment, no matter what. You. Like you kind of you almost yeah. kind of forget for a second. This is about a, a man who's a fucking yeah. walking dead. Um, I, I know what you're saying because well yeah. she sells it I, I, I don't know what happened but I guess because they do have theater backgrounds but like they got another nice performance from a character who in most exploitation films they wouldn't even think twice yeah it's like ah just say those words and get out of here uh, but exactly. like because well, well, because I, I have a point here what I really picked up on that made it extra tragic that maybe you guys picked up on this too is you're introduced to his girlfriend where she's working at the at the the flower shop, yeah, and she's right. a very cool person. She's she kind is, of an interesting, yeah. fun character, mm -hmm. yeah. and she's got humor and wit, and she's yeah. kind of kooky and like she's she seems very much alive, very as lived opposed in. to this living yeah. corpse. She's very um, dynamic and uh, mm -hmm. charming. She's very charming, and so um, and I you know we know as viewers like. Wow, she's really cool and bubbly and fun and, and kind of neat. And it's like, wow, we know where this is going because yeah, the date is going yeah. to be like, uh, yeah. hi, Bob. You know, yeah. so um, <laughs> I don't know that kind of kills me because she seems like not that she deserved better. I mean, like, um, it's someone so full of life is going to be paired off with a guy who just is death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's very it's sad. sad. Very well, sad. Shout out to theater backgrounds, by the way, because that yeah, feels like something that's kind of lost these days too. Yeah, when yeah. like you know, this is the era when people instead of going to film school would just do a bunch of plays or yeah. go to th be a yeah. theater majors or whatever. And yeah. Yeah. like now, everyone's like just makes video or makes videos or whatever. There's different paths there, but sure. we sort of miss that um, that discipline. You know, acting. I agree. If I can, acting. so 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 the scene then plays into. I remember the very first time I saw Death Dream. Um, on video, the very first time I saw it, and I got to the, the penultimate drive-in sequence, which is, I think, the scariest part of the movie, where he comes from the back fucking seat, dude, and his face is, like, insane looking, like his mouth is Classic. almost eaten away, and his stare and everything. Yeah. That's so a legit great. scary fucking moment. It's not even really a jump scare. It's like a slow, terrifying, yeah, horrifying dread. thing to look at. You know, and it really mm -hmm. is effective, super, super effective, super yeah. scary. And then, like, when the sister comes back and sees what's actually happening, her reaction to it is really good, too. It's like this total confusion, brain 
like scrambled, can't even process yeah. what she's seeing because right. it's so fucking horrifying. And that just to me is a very, very, very effective scene because um, it's horrifying God, to her. Uh, and it's also like a horrifying to her and generally like look at my brother but also like oh my god I'm about to die maybe you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And the, the makeup right. is so good too that's to me that's yeah. the most iconic image of the film and I had yeah. that screenshot of that of that look like in my music video inspiration folders that wound up in all these treatments that I wrote back, you know Amazing. 10 years ago or whatever so awesome uh, I yes. just that yeah I love that's the iconic look of the movie for me well there's some 100%. Savani in there right I mean if he's not steering the ship for that face like he's definitely he is a big part of it I mean, he's applying it yeah he must be yeah. applying yeah. some parts of it so it looks really right, good right, right. yeah it looks super super good and then um you know we touched on the ending of course but i mean it's just the ultimate punch in the gut um emotionally when you see yeah, it's rough because you know he is this killer you know he's mm-hmm. i guess evil you know but then you see yes. this very humanizing very disturbing, very depressing little set piece of him yeah. burying himself when I he's know. putting all the dirt on himself and he's just mm. bury me, kill me. That right. is so bleak and dark yeah. and yeah. incredible. It really is. It's a great like sympathetic monster performance, you know, and like yes. you didn't see that a lot. Like, you know, like Frankenstein was simp- played sympathetically, but mm-hmm. Dracula wasn't really, you know, or like oh. uh, Wolfman is a little bit sympathetically, you know, and I'm mentioning all these guys because like, Alan Ormsby, Savini, all these guys are huge, like universal famous monsters buffs, you know? So sure. they, I think that's on their brain when they're doing this. So there's a conscious sure. decision of like, let's make this monster like sympathetic. Let's make him, yeah. and you see that in Box's performance it's like when he's going down the stairs, he looks like he's ill. Yes. He looks like he's sick, you know, and you want to you want to help him down the stairs almost, even though he's this like zombie. So, but it's that's another like thing. You don't a, really see sympathetic zombies too often, especially in this era. So, I mean, he's sort well, he's of almost like, a, like, um, like a, like a, you know, a Vietnam Frankenstein. Because it isn't Andy's fault, you know. That's it's what I'm not. saying. Yeah, it's bringing yeah. all the themes to life. It's bringing all the themes of, you know, the fact that he is this PTSD, you know, ridden, victim of the war and our culture and everything um it's bringing that all that back it's it's really punctuating the biting commentary of this movie by making him Mm -hmm. that sympathetic sort of monster at the end and it's just incredibly sad and then to see that you know the mother then has to bury her own son it kind of brings that visual you know, together. Let's as not well forget too. the dad just blows his brains out. Oh yeah, Fucking that's that's brutal. that's the end of John Marley. Dad, uh, he just takes himself out with a gun. You know, like it's like mm. combat shock shit. Epically you know? tragic. It's yes, like, it, you know? is. <laughs> it is. It really yeah. it is that bleak. It's like there's nothing yeah. even resembling a happy ending here. Yeah, you know? yeah, man. Get Buddy G on the phone. You know, I mean, it's uh, right, really it's, right. it's 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 crazy shit. So yeah, I mean, for me, guys, just to wrap it up with the final minute. I mean. This movie has always been on my top shelf. Like, oh, you want a horror movie recommendation? Something you never heard of? It's always cool. been this movie because I think it really has a dynamic to it. Like you know, we were saying, it, 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 it satisfies the horror, but it also brings the weight, the drama, and it's, it's punctuated with a real major social issue. And you can feel that. And, it's, it, and you can cut the dread in this movie with a fucking knife. You know? it's, it's, uh, and it's well made. You know, it it's is well crafted, great performances, mm-hmm. you know, which is rare. It for is, like, you it know, is driving movie sludge, you know, for low budge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and of course, you know, Bob Clark would go on to make all these great films and 
Sadly, he met, you know, he had his own tragic <laughs> passing. Don't even is, bring it up. I yeah. won't. Uh, you like, can look it up if you want to. Uh, drunk drivers. For yes. Lot, forever. You know? Exactly. It's a very, very killed by drunk. His, him and his son were killed by a stupid yeah. asshole drunk driver. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it's terrible. Mm. But let's not end that with the show. The movie's fucking amazing. If you haven't seen it, I'm sure you have at this point. Recommend it. it. Tell it to your friends. It's amazing. Get the Blu-ray. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All the bonuses. You know. There you go. All right. That All was right. one fucking hour on Death Dream. Thanks, y'all, for listening and hanging with us for that one. And thanks for picking yeah. this movie, too. I mean, yeah. I was very surprised that it actually pulled out the win. Um, <laughs> Me, too. Because it is, it, is, it is deep cut. Not everybody knows. Uh, even the most hardened horror to fan, day, cinephile. Uh, it's still obscure. Yeah. It is still obscure. Because it's not fun. It's not. It's about as unfun as early 70s horror bummers got. Yeah. You know? Because they're very. Mm-hmm. it's not cartoonish. You know? Yeah. There's nothing to like. Yeah. You know, no one's going to re- no one's going to reboot this film. No. Uh, I, don't I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Um like like Rob Zombie's, you know, oh. uh, <laughs> a Death Dream. Oh. Black Christmas was re- redone, right? It was. Many times. Many yes, times. It was. Twice yeah. or three yeah. times. Yeah. Someday we're going to have to get one. to we're going to have to get to Black Christmas maybe during a uh Halloween spectacular. We'll talk. Or Christmas, sure. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Yeah. We'll it's talk. great. That movie. Again, Bob Clark's the man. I mean, that's yeah. that's Brava horror filmmaking, you know? It and is. um Yeah, and he kind of he's it is the slasher blueprint, you know. It is. It is. That 100%. Film in particular, I think. Even more than, you know, Argento and all that jazz, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All that jazz is definitely a major slasher prototype. Um, oh, I mean, of course. Okay. <laughs> all right. Heart surgery. <laughs> Porky's. Yeah. yeah. Porky's <laughs> cracks me up just like that. It has an un, uh, an uneven like weight in my mind because I was yeah. just coming online like when, you know, when video stores would always have like Porky's around and the, yeah, yeah. the poster was just so uh, intriguing but also really scary, you know, like, yeah. like adult sex you know stuff when you're a kid it's just too in your face i haven't seen it since i was like 12 years old (laughs) i haven't seen it in a long time Uh, i'm sure it's It's, a little weird kim cattrall's in it that's right yeah (laughs) yeah. so it can't be that bad yeah samantha bitch (laughs) um all right well we should talk about next week obviously we're still rolling on with the gimmick that we're doing this summer we are uh, pairing our episode numbers with years of film, cinematic years of film. And uh, this, of course, this episode tonight was episode 74, uh, examining a film from 1974 that you all voted on on our Instagram. And uh, we're going to now talk about next week, which is going to be episode 75 for 1975. So here's how this works. I'm sure you already know this, but if you don't, uh, you go over to our Instagram page. Uh, <clears throat> Go over to our Instagram page at one fucking hour. Click on the stories, and uh, if you're watching this broadcast within the first 24 hours of of it being live, uh, you'll be able to participate in the poll, and you're going to choose from one of four different movies from 1975, and whatever wins, we're going to cover it next week. Uh, So let's get into the four picks. We'll tell you a little bit about what it might be like, the episode, if you pick it. Because you probably um, haven't heard of any of these. So. Yeah, right. I'll <laughs> we'll walk you through well, these picks. Well, Pretty I was going to say, I was going to say, <laughs> normally what we've been focusing on, because we started this in 1967, now we're all the way up to 75. Um, the way we've been doing it is we've been picking largely, you know, more gems, like the sort of hidden gems of the year, 
you know, and uh, this year we decided there's a lot of big fucking epic films that came out in 75 <laughs> and we want to keep it a close race. So we picked for this year the five kind of biggest films that we've ne- that we haven't yet done on the show for 75 and see what see what you guys want to hear from. So normally it's going to be the deep cut gems for each year, but I think 75 we're going to take a little break and do something big. So all right. So and you can't get much bigger than this for option number 1. How about one fucking hour on jaws, guys? Yeah. <laughs> Wrap your brain around that one. Yeah. It yeah. would be a lot of fun. It would Jaws be. is great. Jaws is yeah. great. Like a doll's eyes. You know? Yes. It's fucking no. Jaws. Dude, it's yeah. fucking... Dude, you know what it is? It's fucking... Show me the way to go home. I mean, I'm tired. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. Yeah, no, I, who doesn't love Jaws? It's, Jaws is yeah. a lot of fun, and, and we, we tear that shit up. So, yeah. okay, that's one choice. That's one choice. Choice number two is... Uh, oh, this is some classic Pachin. Uh, we're talking about one fucking hour on dog day afternoon, guys. Hey. I mean, okay. a, another film that, you know, super prevalent. Everybody knows it. They've probably seen it multiple times, but it's still an incredible fucking movie. It, amazing performances based on a wacky ass true story that we'll, true that we'll story. get into, mm. you know, true. Um, I That's got a little right. bit of history with that story myself. Yeah. Um, right. and so we will get into that. That of course. weirdly is... Uh, in a backhanded way, that's my fault that you had to deal with that film. We'll that's talk right. about that. <laughs> True. That's anyway, right. <laughs> oh yeah, my god, was, I forgot uh, about that conversation. And uh, there was sorry. some. Was that a so Ruth Chris that. conversation? I think it might have been. No, it was okay. at some place in Toronto. Uh, it was the I place. I don't that, know what they're talking about either. Just for the audience. Okay. So. <laughs> no, it, never mind. It's just uh, if, if it even gets picked. But Dog the Afternoon. Yeah. The the the, uh, the backstory is bananas. It's a all true yeah. story. But we got Pacino in his prime. Attica. And uh, yeah. and dude, John Cazale. John Cazale. Yeah. Excuse me. Incredible. Um, one of those three big performances before he sadly, you know, we lost him from cancer. Yeah. Uh, great performance. Steals the movie. All the smaller characters. Amazing. Um, yes. It's a very New York City movie. Mm-hmm. It's very sweaty, mm-hmm. like like Brooklyn, 1975, <laughs> working class, Elton mm-hmm. John song. It's fucking dark. <laughs> yeah. That's what's up. Dude, it's a monster. Yeah. So that it's one's good. Love those. Love these two movies. This uh, this one it will be very interesting. Talk about backstory, production stories. Uh, we might have to bring on a special guest to help us out with this one because it's just massive. Okay. How about one fucking hour on Barry Lyndon? Stanley, our first Kubrick, by the way. How's that for our first Kubrick? Yeah. I, I, I would <laughs> no, love that. It would be our first Kubrick. I guess it is. Yeah. yeah. That would be pretty kinky, actually. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, we start with the BL. Um, no, I'm very, I, I, yeah, I would, I would love to chop it up for an hour on that, especially if we had a, uh, like a resident Barry Lyndon, you know, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I, I have someone in mind who's never been on the okay. show before who I think might be, um, a, a perfect like guest for Barry Lyndon. Film or something. I think so. I'm pretty sure. So I love it. Barry Lyndon, our okay. first Kubrick experience. It's somebody's on the show. favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think what? so. What? I, I've yeah. seen it. it. It's cool. Yeah. I, I did like it. You know, people it's are just, people you know, who love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. for sure. It, it, it's it is Stanley Kubrick. You know, yeah. so, uh, candlelight, you know, it's, it's man. Like, it's candlelight just for me, bitch. even even 
even the uh, at the Kubrick, you know, uh, exhibit at the at the museum, uh, even the Barry Lyndon like portion of that was kind of boring. You know, <laughs> so. well, you know, it's just everything else is so like you know Monster. nuclear, or, like crazy. Uh, right. But you no, know, as, as as you just just said, Evan, though, like today's word is candlelight. Yeah, I know. My mind. <laughs> candlelight, like, bitch. motherfucking scenes were shot with candlelight. All of That's them, I up. think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, all the interiors, I think. All yeah. the interiors. Anyway, yeah. so. All right, so Barry Lyndon, the third of four, okay. Barry Lyndon, bitch, is number three. And number four, we're going to try once again to get that Altman through. Get that (laughs) Altman machine. Yeah, come on, guys. uh, We're striking out. We've been striking out. Yeah. We've never done. Wait a minute. We've, we've never done an Altman. I know. Never, never and if we don't Altman. do this one, we're going to have to do Popeye. So come on, guys. Let's <laughs> yeah, do uh, seriously. Or O.C. Yeah. and Stiggs. No. Uh, a wedding. Yeah. Okay. This isn't bad. Sure. Health. No. Uh, yeah. Health. No. But anyway, dude, Nashville. Nashville is a, that is a monster. I mean. That's the one. Enough said. Yeah. Fucking yeah, that's, Nashville. That, that's a, Man. yeah. So I would love to tear it up on Nashville as much as the others. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be a, picked. an epic film. Yeah. Another another option for you guys. Like, but it's now all in your hands. It is. You tell us. You tell us. You know. See, I thought it'd be funny if it was like, should we do Jean Dielman, Jean Dielman, Jean Dielman, or Jean Dielman? We could do that. Our, uh, sure. <laughs> for is that seventy five? Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. Oh, okay. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not on the list. Don't be confused. And if you're confused listening right now, the list <laughs> is Jaws, Dog Day Afternoon. Barry Lyndon or Nashville. So those are the yeah. big monsters of 75. Of course, there's a couple other ones like Salo, which we've already done in the archive. Yeah, we did that. We would have and, included it now in this poll, but we already did it. So yeah. yeah, yeah. And, oh, and by the <laughs> yeah. way, we should mention that next week when we do these films, we are now sponsored by Criterion. Just mm-hmm. wanted to throw that out there. And there's no coincidence. <laughs> picks in the poll and us being sponsored by Criterion. It's just Wait, total what? coincidence. Tom's making another bad joke. Okay, yes, definitely. It's just because Criterion, he's a very Criterion-y thing in that neighborhood, you know. Well, not Jaws, though. Not Jaws. And I should also say another 75 Jaws is on TBS right now, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a Jaws channel now. (laughs) (laughs) I should also say that um, the other 1975 film that we've done in the archives is also One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, which is a big... Monster from the year, but that we've already done it. We've already we've covered already it. We've been so there, you know. Check we've it hit out. up seventy five hard already. We so have. yeah, you know. So let's uh, yeah. You tell us what do you want, what do you want to hear about? Um, yeah, and any one of them would be as long as it's Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said that. I don't know. Yeah, uh, but uh, I'm, but I'm the, down the, with no. But any, any one of these, these, I'm down. Any one of these to quote Hills Have Eyes would be juicy, <laughs> yeah, juicy. <laughs> for us to, to talk about. Exactly. You know? Juicy. So, juicy. all right, everybody. All right. Well, we had fun. Thank you so much for uh, hanging with us and checking out One Great Fucking film. Hour on, on Death Dream. Great pick, everybody. It's now up to you for next week. Get on the Instagram at One Fucking Hour. Vote now. Also, if you haven't yet, right down here, if you want to click whoop, join 
Uh, join our YouTube channel for just $5 a month. You get access to all of our audio commentaries, our DVD feature-length audio commentaries that we've recorded. Uh, and there's all the sync up audio instructions are also included in that. Uh, we've done Blue Velvet. We've done Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We've done Star Wars. We've done uh, Psycho 98. Psycho 98. <laughs> yeah. We've done those. You can join, subscribe to the YouTube channel, or you can hit up patreon.com slash one fucking hour. Probably easier if you're more of a you know, Spotify, Apple podcast listener to go the Patreon route. If you're a YouTube watcher, you may want to just join the channel. It's probably the easiest for you there. Uh, but both at the very least hit the like at the very least hit the like button leave a comment you know that kind of oh, stuff yeah. too like comment subscribe uh, do that that's also great we appreciate that and if you can spare a little change uh, for the for the show for either the patreon or the YouTube subscription it's the best way to support the show we, we appreciate that very much um, all right y'all well um, I'm out of here and uh, we're going to leave you uh, but of course we cannot leave you at all without your moment of zen all right everybody take care until next week we'll see you next time all right bye everybody bye Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. That was wicked, man. <laughs>